to be your children. That we do not live in fear. And I pray right now, God, for a spirit of fear that might be in anyone's heart and life as they think for the decisions they have ahead of them or the week they have ahead or or whatever that might be that faces them, that God, you would give them a great sense of your deep love for them, that you have them, your hand is upon them. They are secure in you. No matter what the decision, no matter what they face, that they would know that they are your child and that you will care for them and provide for them and walk with them and go before them and you will be their victory. And so, God, we thank you that you can drive away that spirit of fear as we walk in your love. We thank you for that, for perfect love. Cast out all fear. We thank you for the truth of that. And we pray that you would be with us as a people, that, God, you would be with us as a nation. We pray that our nation and our people would be responsive to you, would turn to you, direct us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So we're in this series and it's been a couple of weeks where we've been talking a little bit about that father-son relationship and seeing the Lord's Prayer as a prayer of identity. Um, and then last week, watching how Jesus himself actually lived out and walked out his identity under his father's love. So that's kind of the direction we've been going. And, uh, and so I'm excited about where we're going to go today. But before I say anything, let me just say, how many of you... Um, Made it, it was a little bit tougher to get to church today. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying because of sleep, but because of the bridge being out, right? And you, so you have to, it's going to be like this for a while, okay? So we'd love for you to, to plan on that and, 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 and take that into consideration. We can do nothing with the state about that bridge being out, but uh, I encourage you to come as early as you can. Well, last week is, uh, I was in a message and in a series, um, I was excited about the truth that I was sharing with you, but as I, I was thinking about this week, I wanted to start out by just asking you a question, and, and, and that is, have you ever had a shame attack? Anybody ever have like a shame attack? You know, um, you, you do something, you say something, and, and maybe you did it and you intended or you didn't intend to do it, whatever, and you just kind of feel this sense of, of being stupid and you're embarrassed and you kind of want to hide. Anybody had that experience? You just raise your hand a little bit, you know. Um, you can have them larger or small. They can be bigger or little. Um, you become self-conscious. You're awkward. You're uncomfortable. You may even feel guilty and, and you may even feel a bit um, regretful. And I think you know kind of what I mean because everyone probably experiences these things from time to time. And I did last Sunday as I was preaching. Now, some of you are laughing and kind of, you know, you weren't here, but if, you know, now you're going to want to hear the tape. But anyway, if you were here, you heard it and you probably could remember when it happened. I was pressing into this whole idea about our identity and this identity allows for us to live in suffering and allows for us to, to, um, to move into places that might be difficult and hard and things such as that. And, and, uh, it, it was seeming rather tense as I was preaching. I can even remember where I was and, and I felt like, it, you know, it, this wasn't in my notes or anything. It was just off script, and I, I was just going along. And um, I'm giving you a slice in my life, so I'm feeling very vulnerable right now. Okay, is she here with me? And I'm going along, and I'm, I'm saying these things, and 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 I could feel the tension. And I, I thought I need to just. My thought was, let's lighten it up. And I made a comment and used my wife kind of as 
the joke, and it was one of those things where it just came like that, and and it, and it wasn't you. You laughed, but it wasn't a real ha ha engagement laugh, right? And um, it was one of those restrained kind of laughters where you kind of going, "Ouch, that'll leave a mark." A kind of uncomfortable laugh. You were laughing and thinking, "Did he really just say that?" And yes, I did. And uh, and I, I remember just feeling regret and feeling shame and all this stuff coming up. I wish at the time I would have just stopped and just said, hey, I'm feeling a lot of shame. And kind of just done that, but I didn't. I, I kind of walked over to my wife, Grace, here, and I kind of looked at her and I could realize that, okay. Um, <laughs> and from that point on, I was filled with shame. Honestly, it was really hard to be present. It was hard to go on with the message. I struggled to conclude. I had lost. I had, my, my complete sense of identity was stolen in the sense of feeling this loved person who is, is called by God and to, to walk into things that he has for us. And, and so I was caught up with shame. And actually someone came up to me after the service, too, right after the service, and handed me this book because I've been doing this thing about, you know, Abba, Dada, just remember he's your dad, you know, from the series. And they handed me the book and we talked... And I, I couldn't remember who gave it to me afterwards. And, and I was so in that place. And, and then a little bit later, I, I, um, I prayed with one of our prayer leaders. And we have them up here to pray for you when you do stupid things or whatever. <laughs> Primarily for me after messages. But, um, and, and she just prayed this wonderful prayer and just said, you know, you're human, that kind of thing. And, and kind of released me in the spirit. And I came up to grace then just a few minutes after that. And, and, and she looked at me and said, you'll pay. <laughs> Literally said that. And I kind of said, Grace, I'm really sorry. Uh, and before I even finished my sentence, she said to me, Kevin, I wake up every morning and choose begin at the beginning of the day that I won't be offended by what someone says to me. And I felt just a sense of freedom and grace and release and really grateful she listens to Joyce Meyer because that's one of her big things um, and I just said Grace thank you and then she said also I forgive you for all the stupid things you'll do in the future as well <laughs> like this right now <laughs> I didn't even warn you because I didn't want you anyway uh, You know, we have shame attacks, little ones or big ones like that. And I just needed to share that with you because I just, I, I, we need to be honoring and respectful and caring in, 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 in all that we do. But I have to share with you that I know that when you experience those things, it's really hard to be present. It actually takes you out of the life that God wants you to live. It actually removes you from being in a place where you're engaged with him and now you're just conscious about yourself all the time. And they're the very kind of things that rob your identity and that Satan likes to do in, during the day. You know, you kind of have that thing happen. You do it and you say something, maybe inadvertently, or you do something and, and you go, what an idiot. I'm stupid. Or you, you basically recall things that, that maybe have happened in your past that kind of have formed your sense of identity. Not the identity God wants for you, but your own identity that has been formed often by what people have said or things you've done. 
And when you feel that kind of shame and you kind of feel that guilt um, and you feel the, and hear the voices attached to you, you have to do what is right. So if you've actually done something wrong, it's very important that you're responsible and you do the right thing and you ask for forgiveness, you repent, whatever you need to do, that needs to take place. But there's also something else you need to do. You need to move into a place where you also forgive yourself and you move into a place where you experience once again the identity of God that he has for you, the name he's called you by, so that you live in that and you walk in that. And you need to deal with the voices attached to shame and guilt that you've heard possibly as you've grown up. You're a failure. You're no good. You're a loser. God doesn't love you. Maybe you've heard the voice many times. God will never forgive you for that. And you start doing fairly well and all of a sudden something happens and you, you just, God will never forgive you for that. And part of our Christian walk, part of what it means to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to deal with these relentless voices that seek to keep us in our past sin, in our failure, or just even in our humanity. And so what I wanted to do this morning is to move into another place where Jesus tells us how important our sense of identity is. Because he wants us to live by the names that the Father has for us. And not by the names that someone's attached to you when you were young or that you've taken on for yourself at some point because of some experience. This is exactly why Jesus is teaching his disciples when we come to this passage of scripture. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, you'll find that in this passage of scripture, Jesus makes a very important point. And you could miss it if you don't just stop for a second and, and, and recognize it and notice it. You need to let this in this morning. So we're going to look at this passage of scripture in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we're going to read these verses. We're going to read verses 1 and then go to verses 17 through 21 because there's just too many verses. The verses from verse 2 to verse 16 are instructions that he gives to these 70 that he's sending out. Okay? So open your heart. As you hear this, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Then he gives them these instructions and they come back. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit in your name. They submit to us in your name. This is amazing. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Father, we pray that these words would become clear to our hearts, that you would speak to us about our name. And in Christ's name we pray this. Amen. Thanks. You may be seated. I'm just going to give you a quick understanding of Luke chapter 10, these verses 1 through verse 17 through 21. And what I want you to note is that he begins here and he talks about the, he's sending out 70. 
That's chapter 10. If you just go one chapter prior to that in chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, listen to what he says. Jesus sends 12 of them on a mission trip. So prior to sending the 70 on a mission trip, he sends out 12 on a mission trip. He says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out um, all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That was their commission. That's what they were called to do. Now, the number 12 is significant. The reason I want to share this with you is because 12, first he deals with 12, and then he sends out 70. And you kind of go, why is he sent out 12? Why 70? Is there something to this? Well, 12 was important because 12 was the number of the sons of Jacob. So Jacob has wrestling with God. He's given the name Israel, which means Jacob from you will come this nation Israel. His 12 sons are the 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. So you get that. So here you have the 12. Jesus comes along. He prays to the Father and he selects 12 and he takes these 12. And there's a reason he uses 12, not 10 or 11 or 13 or 14 or 15. There's 12 because he is in a sense mirroring, making significant that this 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel from Jacob, from Jesus, will come 12 who will be the foundation of the church to come that will be used of God as the new people of God, the new Israel, so to speak. So you you understand, he's got these 12, now these 12. And now you say, well, what about 70? Why does he go along and now commission 70? Why not 65. Was was 70 a good number? And so we read here, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them by two by two ahead of him to every place in town where he was about to go. Now, just a quick aside, because some of your footnotes will say in the Bible, 70, it could be 72. And and I just want you to, we're not going to spend much time on this. You could spend some more time on it, but it represents the number of nations in Genesis 10. And the Hebrew text, the Hebrew text itself has 70. The Septuagint Greek text, which was written from that Hebrew text, has 72. So that's where the little discrepancy is. We're not going to deal with that. I'm just going to use the number 70 because that's what the Hebrew Bible says. So he comes to chapter 10, he's chapter, just a little bit later, this number 70 is familiar, people who were living in, in, in Jerusalem that day, Israelites, they knew the significance of this number. This is not like, you, the reason we sometimes don't understand things in the New Testament is because we don't know the significance of some of the numbers that they understood. So if you go to Genesis 10, and I'll read this. Verse 1, and then come to the end of it, verse 12, because it's just a list of names. It says, this is the account of Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. So the flood occurs, destroys the whole earth. From Noah is now going to come a whole new people. And if you look at Genesis 10 in, in the uh, like NIV Bible, it says the table of nations. They have these headings. They are not in the original um, documents. They are headings by the editors who put your Bibles together. It says the table of nations are kind of giving you a sense of where you're going. But that's what this is. It is in Genesis 10, a table of nations. And he says in then verse 17, as you get to the uh, 32, as you get to the end of it, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these nations... From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So what he's saying here is these 70 are the foundation fathers from Noah that go throughout the whole entire earth. 
Okay, you get that? So you have 12, they represent the new Israel, the church. Now Jesus takes 70, and the reason he's taking 70, because a good Jew knows back in Genesis 10, that these founding fathers that went throughout the whole earth, so also will be the 70 in a representative prophetic sense. They symbolize that the gospel that comes through the church is going to go through the world. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus is just trying to make a simple point. Here's my 12. They're the church. They're the new Israel of God. And this new Israel of God isn't going to be just for this geographic region. It's going to go through the, throughout the table of nations, throughout the entire earth, all 70. And so in a way, he's standing before all the people and he's making a point. He's saying, listen guys, this gospel that I'm bringing is not just for the church and for a select group of people. It is to go everywhere. And so I commission you to go out and do it. And they go. Now look at, if you would, verse 17 and verse 21. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow. The power and authority you gave us is effective. Your name makes a difference in the lives of others. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. What I want you to notice is it says at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit. In all the Gospels, you don't have any other account where it says that Jesus was full of joy. It, it doesn't mention much about his emotions. It does in different places, like when he was in the garden and some things like that. But here is the one place where it talks about his joy. And there's a reason that he has incredible joy. They come back, they tell him, this is the advance of the gospel through the 70 in this prophetic, symbolic way. He is filled with joy for a couple of reasons. One of them is this, in his humanity... He came to a, just a clear recognition that the gospel that God and who he is and the mission that he had been sent to do that would happen through the cross and the resurrection was going to happen. People like you and me who are not learned and, and super wise and, and maybe educated in positions of power and all these things, humble servants who take the gospel are going to be able to bring it everywhere. And as they do so, it'll make a difference in people's lives. And it's not going to just happen in this geographic region because it does say Jesus said he came to Israel. And as Paul says, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, he's saying it's going to happen everywhere. And he's, it's just kind of the sense of this is incredible. This power and authority, Father, that you have given me. And Jesus, if you want to just go in his humanness, is going unbelievable. He's fully God, fully man. And Jesus knows that nothing would stop it. The new identity bearing the almighty God's power and authority would spread to every nation on the earth. Every person would have an opportunity to have this new name be called by the name of the Father, to be set free from their shame and their guilt and from their shame attacks or whatever else it might be, and to grow in the fullness of God's love. And he praises Abba, Father, because the spread of the gospel is not dependent on wise and learned and people of power, etc., but it's dependent on you and me. 
bringing that message, wearing, basically living that message before others. Now, if you look at verse 17 through 20, here's where I want us to look at. This is critical, and we're going to spend the rest of our time on this. It's critical to our identity. Jesus is instructing the 70 where they should find their true identity. Note, Jesus instructs them not to find their worth outside himself. The 70 return, they're excited about what they can do, how the evil spirits can submit to them, and Jesus redirects their attention. What I think is interesting here is he's trying to go, it's not only the bad things and the names and the labels that you pick up that are that destroy your identity, but it's the very even good things that you do. Don't let your identity be in your work, your title, your promotion, whatever it may be. It, it's not about the things out here. Your identity is in here. Because he goes on and he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And snakes and scorpions, often in the Old Testament, refers to more demonic kind of beings or demonic um, spirits, and to overcome the power of the enemy. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but this is where you should find your joy. This is where you should find this sense of overwhelming well-being, that your names are written in heaven. And so he warns them. What is more important when you think of who you are is this, whose you are. You understand who you are. Not by what you do out here, not by the things external to you, not by the names that are given to you, but by the name that is given to you by the Father and how you relate to him. That you are in relationship to him that no one can break. And that you know his love and his presence and he calls you by a name that should constantly remind you of who you are. Now, we call God the Father, we've been told his name. He gives us lots of names throughout the Old Testament. He begins to tell us he's the Lord, the provider. He's the Lord who sees. He's the Lord who hears. He has all kinds of different names. They express a part of his character. What you find also when he says your names are written in the book of in heaven, in a sense, in this spiritual realm, this idea that you're related to me and I have a name that I call you. What he's saying through the, you go through the Old Testament and New Testament, he calls us names. And these names are aspects of the character of who we are before God. And so there is this real sense that um, even though you may have experienced a loss of identity, Due to something that has happened, you have the opportunity to go back and say, God, this is the name you call me. I'm going to live in this name. And so here's just a, I can only go through three names. There's just a list of names. But I'm going to show you the first one is the name that you're called. And the name that you are called, written in heaven, is chosen. You are chosen. Think of all the pain you've had in the past, maybe not being chosen. Remember standing on a playground, kind of with your head down, kicking the gravel as they're calling out names. You have the captains, and you're wondering if you'll get chosen, right? You have those kind of experiences throughout your life. They they form you in your identity. Did you know that that um, scientific studies have shown that the younger you are, where you have had a wound with regard to a sense of your identity, the harder and more difficult it is to bring healing to that. 
There's a reason for that. Because when you're little, you don't have a whole lot of data. If your parents call you stupid or you have someone else who, who, who does something to you, whether it be through um, uh, abuse or, or some kind of child abuse or whatever it is, at that young age, you don't have a lot of data to go, that doesn't make sense. That kind of thing happens when you're 40. you got a whole lot of other data that you can kind of deal with. And so some of you are carrying wounds that you've carried since you're very young. And what happens when you go along and you don't get a promotion or or you don't get into the college you were hoping to get into or you're turned down for a date or whatever it might be. A lot of times if you're feeling stupid, you've been called stupid at a young age and it gets formed there, all it is doing is hitting a bruise here again and it sets it off and there's shame and there's guilt. Parents, some of you have felt the pain of your kids not being chosen for the traveling team, right? Some of you who have been single and, and dating know the pain that you have experienced. You know, hoping you'll be someone's end game and you're not their first string. Their A-team. Yet on the flip side, when you think about it, we, we also know how good it feels to be accepted and to be chosen. When you get an award, you get an honor. Or the, you get into the prestigious school, you get on the team you wanted, or you get the promotion you were hoping for. Or you actually see demons submit to you in his name. And he goes, that's good. And those experiences aren't not, in a sense, to be taken in. Take them in as a gift, but it's not even who you are. Because who you are is chosen. And one of the most important names that God calls you is this, you are chosen. You don't have to chase after feelings of being accepted or to make the kind of compromises you hope that uh, you got to do to be liked by someone. You don't have to fear being rejected because God gives you this gift. He says you are chosen. I chose you. It says in Ephesians, you were chosen before the creation of the world if you made trust in, in, in giving yourself to him. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9 from the Living Bible. He says, you have been chosen by God himself. You've been chosen by God himself. This is the truth about who you are. Whether you feel it or not, God wants you to know this. At one point, Jesus is looking at his disciples in John chapter 15, 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Even, even your being chosen isn't about you. It, it isn't even so much about you said, hey, I chose you, God. Hey, God, I, it, it, your choice is in response to his love. It's in response to what's in his heart. So when you think about that, you can do all kinds of things, and you may need to do the right things to get in right relationship again, but you may feel things or you may have these identity kind of attacks or whatever it is, but the reality is it can't touch the fact you're chosen because it's in him. He chose you, and he chose you to bear fruit, fruit that will last, and that's the good news. It's about God and what he sees in you. There's another name that he gives us, and this is named Precious. You may have never had anyone call you Precious before, right? But you are Precious and Treasured. You're not only chosen and accepted by God, but you're extremely valuable to God. You are Priceless. Say this with me. I am extremely valuable to God. Just say it. I am extremely valuable to God. 
You know, God says you are priceless. I'm going to read some scripture to you, and I'm going to ask you to not just listen with your ears, but open your heart. Say, God, even say to him, Spirit of God, reveal this to me. If, if I get it now, reveal it to me this week. In Isaiah 43, verse 4, it says, Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Like the way the Message Bible says it, it says, I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Sheba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. I mean, that's incredible. That's what God says about you. He's he sees you as precious. Malachi 3.17, you get to the very end of the Old Testament, the last book, Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, it's looking towards you who are going to be a part of God's church when you accept and receive him. And you get to this point, and he says, on that day when I act, which means he acts again in history through Jesus, says the Lord Almighty, they will be, you will be his treasured possession. The Hebrew word there is a very interesting word, sigula, and and it means a special treasure, a special kind of treasured possession. It was used as an idea of the king had what he called guarded wealth. Be the kind of thing you would put into a safe and it would be behind a picture somewhere, right? We get that kind of analogy? It was this guarded kind of wealth. Whether it was his most precious jewels or treasures or, or it was gold or silver, he would put it in a special place where it would be guarded. And God says that each believer is a unique, special treasure of great importance. Treasure beyond all treasures. That's what you are to him. So I want to ask you just to think for a second what is it that makes something valuable you go you know you maybe you're not convinced you go yeah i'm sure god says that let, let me just what is it that makes something valuable i'm going to share with you i think there's two things that really make things valuable it, their value is is often determined i think in a couple ways and the first is this is by who owns it right think about it a second something is valuable because it belongs to someone and depending on who that someone is it raises its value we just read in Malachi the Bible says that you are God's precious possession because you belong to him you are incredibly valuable 1 Peter 2.9 says but you are a chosen people a people belonging to God you're not only just chosen, but you belong to God. You are his treasured possession. So, so value is determined by what, you know, someone, it belongs to someone, someone owns it. So think about it this, this way for a second. Let's just say I have a couple of um, tennis shoes up here, right? They're my tennis shoes. And they're a little broken in. They're a little bit used. I've been using them to shoot baskets in our gym down here, getting ready for our March Madness. Why is that a free tournament this next year? And... Um, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to put them on an auction for sale. And, and I put them up here next to another pair of tennis shoes. They're really more worn. They, they don't look as good. Um, they're, they're so big they kind of go off the edge. I mean, they're not nice little ones like about here that would fit your feet well. And so you have mine, and then you have Steph Curry's that was used in a tournament. 
Whose do you think would be more valuable? Right? In an auction, whose do you think would go higher? Mine, of course. Um, his value is determined by who it belongs to. And, and we, we will often see something valuable according to who owns it. And the owner often adds value, think about it, to very common things. A very common set of shoes, the value is added because of the person it belongs to. You'd think of it this way. You know, some of you, who, how many were these Hugh Jackman fans? Let's just say you have a car and you have it next to another guy's car and you find out they're on a lot and one was Hugh Jackman's, right? Whose would be more valuable? The owner often adds value to very common things. And you just have to ask yourself, who do you belong to? If you belong to God, you are very valuable. Did you know that God, when he looks at you, doesn't go, oh no, I created that person? He doesn't, never does, never does God go, what was I thinking when I created that one? When God looks at you, he sees his treasured possession. Because value is determined by who owns it. There's another reason you can say value is determined. Value is also determined by what someone is willing to pay for something, right? Think about it for a second. Um, how much do you think your home is worth? Probably not as much as you think, but let's just go around. I could, I, not being a real estate agent, I could probably give you the value of your home. It's worth as much as someone will pay for it, Right? Value is determined not only by who it belongs to, but it's often determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And here's what the Word of God says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. You've been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. Think about that for a second. Your value is double-tied. Not only do you belong to him, but he also tells you that he's willing to give his life. First Peter 18 through 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of the life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It all depends on what someone will pay for it. So if I held up a 1955 Topps Harmon Kilbrew baseball card, it's just a guy with a, in a picture. How much do you think that thing's worth? People have paid $30,000 for that little picture. I think of this viola that is made in 1719 by a guy named Antonio Stradivari. It sold for $54 million. I think of this little piece of art called orange. How many here would pay $58,000 for that? Someone valued it that highly. How about you? If your picture was up there, How much are you worth? On a cross, Jesus put his arms out and said, you're worth this much. I value you this much. On the cross, 
Jesus said, I'd rather die than be without you. Think about that. You are chosen, you are precious, and we're told you're forgiven. I'm just going to read these verses and, and, and conclude, and I want you to listen to this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He calls you chosen, precious, and forgiven no matter what you have done. God has forgiven you. Catch this again. Because of what? You belong to God. This idea of belonging to him is important. Romans 8.33. Who who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? When you hear those voices as accusations, who dares do this? Will God? No. He's the one who has forgiven us and given us the right standing with himself. 1 John 2.12, I'm writing these things to all of you, my little children, because your sins have been forgiven in the name of Jesus our Lord. Psalm 103.11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Now catch this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We have a hard time forgetting and letting go, right? Someone does something and kind of comes back. God says it's so far removed, it's eternally removed. He does not remember it. He does not bring it to bear again on your situation. Your sins have been given. This is who you are. Somebody asked the team to come forward, and I would love for you just to take a moment to just allow God to speak to you. And what is the name that He is calling you? The name that He wants to say to you? I think it's interesting that the only way you receive this is not by the things you do but by just sitting back and humbly receiving like a child. It says in Luke 20, 10, 21, Jesus is full of joy. He realizes that the 70 will bear his name and wear the name of Jesus throughout the world. And this is received not through great study. It's not received by great intellect. It's not received by your place of position or power or status. You know how you receive the name? You hear it like a little child and you receive it and say, okay, that's mine. I have a little grandson. His name's Whitaker and we call him Whit. He's never, he, he knows his name. He's just a little, little guy who, that's what little kids do. Little, little ones take in. They either take in bad names or good names. And God says, I want you to take in this name just like you were a little child right now. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and I'm gonna, I want you just to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to listen with the ears of your heart and in faith as a child just as you think about this and you you are praying to him just say Jesus what's your name for me right now what's your name for me just pray spirit of God would you please reveal to me the name my father in heaven has for me I don't know if you've ever read love languages, but um, God knows how to speak in your personal love language, whether it's a whisper, a picture you see, it's a dream later in the day or at night. 
Your father is so creative that he knows exactly how to speak to your heart. So take it in like a child. I heard Bob Goff say once, instead of telling people what they want, you need to tell them who they are. This works every time. Will we come in our lives whoever the people we love the most say we are? Catch that. Will we come in our lives whoever the people we love the most say we are? And as you love Jesus and you love God and you move into that, you will begin to hear more clearly than ever that you are his chosen, that you are precious, that you are forgiven, that you are a saint, that you are righteous, that you are victorious, that you are an overcomer, whatever it is that the name is that Jesus brought to you. is probably something creative. Just receive it like a child. And here's one other thing I'm going to ask you to do. If you heard God speak a name to you, would you tell someone that you love, that you trust? Let them pray that with you as well. Father, we thank you. And we pray this in Christ's name.